0: Welcome to Soul Forum. We're delighted to have you as we attempt to kind of democratize the experience of soul. Each conversation in this second season takes you deeper into the experience of your own body, the collective body, earth body, and even the cosmic body as we explore the way soul finds expression in our time. We hope what you discover along the way helps you journey a little deeper into your own soul body. Welcome. In this episode, April sits down with Marjorie. In her early 30s, Marjorie was a super capable single mother doing all she could to keep life flowing for herself and her young children. Then the unimaginable happened. She discovered that she had a brain tumor and although the operation to remove it was a success, she was left with her physical capacity deeply compromised. This forced her onto a new path, which included the hard-won lessons of self-compassion and self-forgiveness. Along her journey, she discovered the opening to embrace owning her own value with true grace and humility. As you listen to Marjorie share about her unique journey, which she also has written about in her recent memoir. Maybe consider the ways you allow yourself to step a little deeper into self-love and self-acceptance as you traverse the gentle and not so gentle paths that life has laid before you.
1: I love reading your book. You just, you have this, really gentle grace and then when i'm reading your stories i just feel comforted and peaceful and even though you know i'm very fortunate that i haven't experienced any physical disruption all of your stories are you know like really relatable to me Mm -hmm. so it's really you know you really have this beautiful way of writing that has been just so relaxing and comforting
2: Thank
1: you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, your book is like, it's like, just like this beautiful escape. I'm like, oh, especially, I mean, the world was already too busy and chaotic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now we're at 10x. And uh, so it's hard to escape. Mm-hmm. But I found that reading your stories, I was like, oh, there's just such a gentleness and a peaceful pace that you have. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so that's it's like yeah, it's like a gentle walk in nature. It's really lovely.
2: So Uh, my hope is that people will find something to connect with their own experience, whether they have anything in common with my my stories or not. Because I my hope is that I'm reaching into some universal spaces. Yeah, that that's my story, but you have a story that you can say. I get that, mm-hmm. you know, that you can see yourself in that story. I, I'm not right. sure if I can articulate it that well, but yeah, I...
1: um, well done. Because one of the the things that I picked up from reading is that you know there is a lot of grace and reverence for for the everyday mm-hmm. in your storytelling. In what ways would you say that your you know the changes in your physical abilities have been? a mentor to you. Was that,
2: was that reverence already there or? Hmm. Um, yes, yes. And no. Um, yes, I loved the outdoors. I loved being outside. Um, I was always in a hurry,
1: um, mm-hmm. uh,
2: before I got sick and my, my life came to a, a screeching halt. Um, uh, as, as in the book I talk about, I couldn't even get across a room. So, um, you know, that was, yes, I I was not accustomed to, to being alone. I was always kind of, I had this real alone, lonely feeling that I tried to escape mm-hmm. often. And yet I had children who didn't leave me alone at all. <laughs> and so there was that that tug and pull between wanting some alone time, I think mostly wanting to talk to an adult. And so when all this happened, it, I had no choice but to start figuring out what do I do with all this solitude? Mm-hmm. Uh, it isn't what I would have ever sought out mm-hmm. in the life that I'd had. I always was trying to escape solitude, escape from myself, hurry to the next, whether it was getting into college, getting married, uh, having kids, um, getting a job, all of those things just felt like I need to hurry to do this. I can't just take my time. And uh, losing my ability to walk, I couldn't hurry at all. Yeah. I, I've realized I move at the space of a turtle. <laughs> a fairly patient turtle, but that's about the pace that I move. I don't always notice it because I've adapted and I yeah. don't make a big deal of it. Yeah. Um, it's when something happens that requires more mm-hmm.
1: of me. hmm So then what are the what are the unexpected gifts that <laughs> that you've been given from that?
2: Um, a number of them
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, one is that it by by necessity freed me from my caretaker role that I'd always assumed. I was always the mom from when I was probably three years old I was called little mother and mm-hmm. and I still hover but um you know that's that's never gonna stop but this feeling that it's always my job to fix things to take care of things mm. i had to abandon that yeah. i i really couldn't i only i barely had capacity to deal with myself not doing things for other people i still had my kids but they were somewhat big enough i mean they were they were 10 and 14 mm. when this different journey happened um, they were big enough for me to give directions from the living room, as they called me the queen in her chair. <laughs> they would say, get the box of macaroni, measure it out, get the milk, get some butter. And <laughs> oh, wow. And, and walk, boil some water. They could, they could do those things. But I would kind of walk them through from the other room. I could kind of see them. But um, I really couldn't get up to do it all. Yeah. So a lot, I've had to abandon the caretaking role for a lot, which was actually very freeing ultimately. Tell me Um, more about that. I had always felt like I needed to work at friendships and that I needed to put more work in. And suddenly I didn't have the energy to do that. And so if I was going to have friendships or relationships, close relationships, they had to be mutual. I didn't have energy to do otherwise. Yeah. Uh, for people who are acquaintances, I needed to get all sorts of people to help me. That was another thing was um, working through the shame of being help needing help, because that was a, an incredibly painful position for me to find myself in. It, was, it There was a lot of shame involved. Yeah. Um, why should I ask for help? Why should I need help? Um seen myself as needy, mm-hmm. and I had to work through forgiving myself for having needs uh, my entire life was need, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I knew it wasn't going to change quickly. Mm-hmm. I knew I wasn't gonna I was gonna continue to have big needs mm-hmm. for at least that some of that just hasn't gone away mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I've learned to um make some peace with it. Sometimes it's still hard, but not nearly. That I, I I'm preaching to the choir when I say all of us have needs. We need help to be born. We need help to die. We need help when we're young mothers. You need help when you give birth. Uh there's so much in life that is just a normal part of being human where We need help not because we're bad people, but because we're human. Yep.
1: And then, so then, how did that, did it expand your capacity for empathy and compassion, firstly for yourself? I mean, like, how, what was that road like when you finally, did you have to give up the fight?
2: Uh, it's been a long, I, I, I don't make changes easily. Mm-hmm. I, I talk about kicking and screaming, and I'll just, I, I, I'm not real. <sighs> you know, life is cool. <laughs> That's I, not I, you, huh? <laughs> I wish I were graceful and mostly I never feel very graceful, but I get there eventually. Mm-hmm. I would long for that grace and it, the process of changing of welcoming change accepting change forgiving myself has never felt graceful
1: <laughs> i would suspect that that's more the norm for anyone that we view as having grace to them mm-hmm. it might really, be yeah cuz yeah. cuz you know that was the thing that i really the, that was the 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 big standout to me in your writing is the amount of grace and reverence for um life mm. and well, you know yeah 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 now talking to you <laughs> i can relate to how you're describing it because that would be me like i really like my i think yeah that's like my whole goal in life is to be like truly <laughs> graceful we'll, we'll see if i get
2: there um Well, the irony for me is that I used to be physically very graceful. Mm -hmm. I was a contra dancer and I picked it up very, very quickly. I'd always wanted to dance and and did not grow up in a community that dancing wasn't completely sanctioned, but it wasn't really encouraged. And when I began contra dancing, other than my self-consciousness, I was physically very adept. Uh-huh. And now, having lost a lot of ability to walk, having a lot of paralysis, physical grace is no longer a possibility for me. I clump along. I I don't walk smoothly. I walk with a limp. Um, it's just it has denied me. Yeah, yeah.
1: And then, so how have you reconciled that in your spirit?
2: uh mostly I can because i I understand that I've moved in a to a different place of grace mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. as I've learned to forgive myself as mm-hmm. I've learned to accept help
0: mm-hmm.
2: as I've learned that it's okay to have needs um so that i've I've come to a place of different grace,
1: yeah yeah wow, that's really,
2: but there's neat. it's still frustrating sometimes i I sure. you know I don't fall as much. I've worked really hard at stretching and mm. making it so I don't have so many falls. Our house is set up with no rugs, um very careful where things are. I have grab bars in the bathroom, railings on the stairs things that we've done to change the environment because i can't really change me mm-hmm. so um those but there's times that i just get especially in warmer weather my legs stop working Oh, it's very very frustrating it just over about 70 degrees my legs don't really function
1: yeah wow so then do you
2: take trips to cold places in the warmer months <laughs> Yes, we went to Newfoundland in August. (laughs) It was wonderful.
1: Wow.
2: Yeah, we'll go up to Maine, but we still do spring and fall. Um, We bike in the summer, but that's because I have a cooling vest that Mm -hmm. I can wear. It's harder to wear when I'm walking because I'm already kind of weakened. But if I'm on the back of the bike, I can just have the cooling vest. It's not as hard on me. My husband Mm -hmm. does the pedaling, and Mm -hmm. I'm on the back of the tandem, and Mm -hmm. I just kind of sail along, and it's cooler. So we can do a lot more in the summer because of the bike.
1: Yeah. Your husband's my hero in (laughs) creating that tandem bicycle for the two of you.
2: It's wonderful. It It makes it getting through summer possible for me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What would you say is kind of your most...
1: I don't know, profound, interesting, cherished gift that you've gained in having your life altered for you?
2: Hmm. That's a really hard question. You know, I, I, I don't know that I could narrow it down to one yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I've really come to a place of self-forgiveness Mm-hmm. And um stop letting go of being a people pleaser, even though it's still a real knee jerk kind of reaction um i'm it it feels less comfortable, and it kind of keeps bringing me up and saying, "I can't do all those things I can't like I was describing, I can't push harder, and if that's what it takes to pe- to please people." can't do it. So what am I going to do? So it it isn't that it gives me an excuse. It helps me understand that those compulsions were not necessary.
1: Big gift. I bet you, you can see that people pleasing, like,
2: Oh, there it is again. I I do. I I mean, it's, I, I will always, it's, it's part of my personality. So I don't really deny it at this point. I try hard not to let it control me because the consequences are pretty severe. If yeah. I really do things that other people need me to do just because I have a very low seizure threshold. Oh, okay. And if I don't take care of me, that seizure threshold is right there. Everyone has one. Mm -hmm. If you you have heat stroke, you will have a seizure. Mm -hmm. If your body goes to 108 degrees, you're probably going to die very soon, but you'll have a seizure first. Mm -hmm. (laughs) My seizure threshold is much lower. Wow. If I fall and injure myself, very possible I will have a seizure. If I'm extremely fatigued, it's right there. If I'm incredibly anxious to the point of just feeling like the world is closing in on me, I have had seizures. Mm-hmm. It's not a nice companion to have, no. but it keeps me in a place that I can't indulge the people pleasing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's t- a severe
1: double-edged sword and <gasps> like, Nobody knows self-care better than you. <laughs> I have to. And the
2: value of it, right? Like right. yeah, that's wow, what right. a life
1: lesson. Holy moly.
2: <laughs> uh, like I said, it's not something I would have ever chosen. And Right.
1: So yeah, that's sort of my, you know, little follow-up to that, which, you know, might be a pitch too far, is like, do <laughs> you know, because it's just hypothetical in that, you know, I wonder. If you would have, you know, like at what level would you have gotten Marjorie Matters if you hadn't had that?
2: I don't know. I I was already on that path after going through divorce as a 29-year-old mom of two kids who were two and six at the time. Um, I didn't have a lot to give in that situation either. That was it's hard to know what was harder. They were both very, very hard and yeah. very scary. And I didn't feel like I had a lot of choices. And then I figured things out. Mm-hmm. Then it wasn't a smooth, oh, God always provided. Well, there were some pretty big gaps in there, which I wasn't sure when that was going to happen. And, and it wasn't just, you know, just take, just trust in God because he'll take care of things. And well, that wasn't always real clear to me. Mm-hmm. And eventually something would happen. But there were some real gaps mm-hmm. in there that mm-hmm. were really scary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think that that's the, you know, that's very similar in, in our, you know, to our conversation about grace. Faith mm-hmm. is the same way. Sure, looking back, you can be like, oh, I always had faith. And it was not a picnic. <laughs> I don't,
2: there's times when I really questioned if I had faith.
1: How do you hold on to your authentic self when it's a challenge to do that? I would imagine that being, you know, incapacitated, to say the least, for, you know, the period of time that it took you to heal, and then also, you know, the the challenges that you still face, that that it's given you uh, more opportunities than (laughs) most people to explore that
2: uh, I, I, again i wish that i were more graceful or felt more graceful um when when things are not going well i'll say something like yeah i've already got character up the wazoo thanks very much i don't i don't need more <laughs> character don't, don't just give me the god will never give you more than you can deal with i just you know it just rings a little hollow <laughs> i'm good <laughs> Well, people think that if you've been through all this, that no sweat. And you know what? It's still hard. Mm -hmm. It's still hard. You know, the other thing that uh, has changed for me is um, not completely letting go of perfectionism. Mm -hmm. But I used to feel like if I don't do it perfect the first time, I should give up. Oh, wow. And I don't have that option anymore. And it's a humility of saying, not good enough yet, but I can try again. I I think my writing practice has really taught me that because to write well, you have to keep practicing. And you have to keep trying it again. But you also have to be open to editors giving you feedback that you don't take personally personally and say, they're trying to help me be better. They're not trying to hurt my feelings. Yeah. And and so the practice of writing has actually been a really important spiritual practice in that as well.
1: Yeah. Um, boy, do I hear that one. And that was a question I wanted to ask you, is that what is the spirituality of storytelling to you?
2: It's very important. Mm-hmm. It's, it's how I think... I think in stories. I I grew up with Southern women storytellers. I learned family connections, not just by family trees, but well, this person was related to that person. And here's a story about that person that helps you see who they are and why they're important and what significance they played in this family, what they did that made a difference. Um, how quirky and odd they were. And those were all stories that I got a lot from my mom after we'd spent two weeks at my grandmother's every summer. Mm. And on the way home, the whole half of the town we were related to, we, we, we were related to where I live, nobody was related to us. And so I would actually, I felt like I was going home
1: mm. for
2: those two weeks but i still didn't really know these people and so i would start peppering her with questions and she was more than happy to mm-hmm. tell me story after story after story and it's what i do i you know it's it it's kind of as natural to me as breathing mm-hmm. is telling stories mm-hmm.
1: how did it make you feel though to hear their stories
2: Oh, it made me feel very connected. We, we talk about that in, in the personal history world, about knowing your family connections helps you feel like you are part of those connections as opposed to separate and individual with no bonds that hold you and comfort you. I think part of the satisfaction that I got from that was... A lot of the workshops that I did and that I continue to do is helping people see that they have stories to tell. Yes, and right. it's, it's there is such a a joy in seeing that light in yes. someone's eyes yep. as they recognize that we all have stories. Yep, and that they're worth telling yep. and not keeping to ourselves. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, and the thing that that, um, so yeah, me too,
1: and the thing that yeah, what a surprise, the thing that that really lights me up with it is one the experience of, you know, really listening to that storyteller tell their story and the experience that that gives them to be listened to, mm-hmm. like the experience that they have of themselves inside yes. that space of listening. I I love seeing that. And the other thing is that when they get themselves and the only way you can get yourself in that way is through telling your story to another,
2: Mm -hmm. you
1: can't just keep it in your head.
2: No, that's, I think that's part of the journey that I've, I've been on is, um, recognizing the value of being heard and getting out of the echo chamber of my own thoughts and that there are other people who can look at the same situation and say have you looked at it like this Mm -hmm. that is really helpful Mm -hmm. because otherwise we're in this sort of with blinders and we can't see any other way of looking at life Mm.
1: This might be the last question. We'll find out.
2: <laughs> well you make me feel very heard April oh, okay. And any of these interviews that I've done I it's a real privilege oh, and and I am very honored oh, to be listened to the way you're you're listening. Thank oh. you
1: well, thank you thank you for thank you for acknowledging. So your book, the title,
2: Yep. My Liturgy of Easy Walks finding the sacred in everyday and some very strange places. Yeah, so tell me, what does that mean to you? Uh, I was startled when I saw that as a headline that was put in an article that was writing a profile of me. Uh, I, where, where did she get that? And uh, she said, no, it's just your, your walking practice just felt like a, um, a devotional that's what you were doing as a, a real spiritual practice and I guess I I maybe knew that on one level, but it was I could never have put that myself mm-hmm. to have given voice to that. And this is where hearing somebody else getting someone else's perspective is so valuable because you're able to to see yourself, in a different light than mm-hmm. just your own little tunnel vision.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So, so that challenged me to really look at what is it that I do that is embodying spiritual practice, walking in faith, um, seeing the world, how do I pray? Um, all of all of those things that the the contemplative life that getting sick really kind of sat me down and said, "We're not going to put you in the nunnery for you know you're going to not go anywhere and you're going to be confined and mostly alone and alone with your own thoughts and how do you find to pray and how do you find your way to make sense and make peace." With all that, I still don't feel like I articulate that very well. And so I tell stories.
1: Mm. What are the strange places? What, what does it mean? Do you find sacred and strange places?
2: A, a lot of that probably is is sort of a, not even a wink and a nod, but in reference to living with seizures and and what a strange life that is uh, it's unseen, it's right below the surface, it's right, it's right waiting for you, uh, and then you pick up your life pieces afterwards. That's the, the finding myself on a desert island and picking up the pieces after the tidal wave washes over uh, in the book. Um, it's, it's also dealing with neurological healing, because it, it can happen very suddenly, just a you know a snap of your fingers. You couldn't do something, and now you can. And uh, it's, it's really pretty stunning. I could tell you exactly the day that I could plant my foot down and turn it some when I was dancing, as opposed to having to very clumsily pick my foot up and keep moving it. Um, it was an instantaneous nap. Now I couldn't, now I can. <laughs> the day that I walked from my chair out to the kitchen and I heard, You're, you have your balance back. No, you think you have your balance back. Oh, you hope you have your balance back. And I don't hear voices very often. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just went and sat down and said, I'm going to let everything sort out. And when I stood up again, probably an hour or two later, my balance had shifted from my knees which was very, very difficult to walk with your balance down around your knees. It had shifted Mm -hmm. back to my hips. It's a neurological function. It isn't just that our our center of gravity is right at our hips. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: That's neurological. Mm -hmm. And my neurological wasn't working. Mm -hmm. It was way down at my knees. So that's where I talk about walking with stilts. And Mm -hmm. as a child, I walked on stilts. But as an adult... I was able to get back down off the stilts and walk again with some measure of grace. I felt mm-hmm. like I was floating. It was, wow. um, it really was instantaneous. So, so those are the real strange places living with neurological things. I couldn't even name. I, I still, there was just no words. And then but what
1: about the sacredness of it? How does that occur for you as
2: Making Secret. peace, making peace with it, and and not and moving through the anger, mm-hmm. because I was angry a lot,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and moving to the moving beyond the anger to forgiveness, self forgiveness, um, finding joy. Mm-hmm. It's the when people say, "Oh, you know, as long as you've got your health, you're you're you've got everything." I say, Really? And if you don't have your health, what do you have? Mm -hmm. You've got nothing? That's not my experience. Mm -hmm. I had to learn that even with a compromised body, I still had a lot and that I have a lot to give. I had never understood that before. Mm. It's incredibly sacred. To me, to know that I have things that are of value to give to others and that they have value to give to me. It's the, somebody's got to take, somebody's got to receive the gifts. Yeah. (laughs) All we just keep giving and nobody ever accepts Mm -hmm. those gifts. It all gets bottled up. Mm -hmm. So it has to move back and forth. That's very sacred.
1: Yeah. Wow, that was beautiful, Marjorie. And that's the gift of your book. Well, thank you. So
2: that's, uh, I think we're going to call that a wrap. It's so sweet (laughs) to talk with you. I wish you weren't so far away.
0: You may find Marjorie Turner Holman's book, My Liturgy of Easy Walks, finding the sacred in every day and some very strange places on Amazon. It's a peaceful and healing respite from the chaos and the turbulent times we might often find ourselves navigating these days. In our next episode, I sit down with a local artist, Brian Enright, and try to move this conversation of how we understand soul body away from the bodies we actually occupy as we journey or traverse this universe to the possibility that maybe there's a collective body that holds us as well how can we tap into that body that collective body that body that is a um, a maybe a landing place for kind of the diverse ways in which our communities or our societies or even our nations manifest themselves, is there in fact a collective body that can inform your soul's journey? Join us, won't you?
1: This episode of Soul Forum has been brought to you by Storycatcher for iPhone, a fun and simple tool that helps you create shareable keepsake video stories. Be the documentarian in your circles Find Storycatcher, spelt as all one word, on the Apple App Store. You may attend Soul Forum Live each Sunday morning at Creekside Commons in Lafayette, California. The 30-minute presentation is also live-streamed via YouTube and Facebook, where people interact via the chat. After the live stream is complete, for those gathering in person, we then enter into a non-recorded group discussion on the day's topic. We'd love for you to join us for Soul Forum.